gays, and welcome to Spoiler Alert, a weekly talk radio show for TV and movie lovers. I'm your Zadie host, Sonia Stanger, and I'm joined by my good Judy, Sean Dunham, and our extra special guest, filling in for Jer as both our co-host and token straight, James Brotheridge. Hi, pals. I'm happy to be the token in the room. Thank you so much. We... We need one. Yeah, I think it's about time that white guys with beards and glasses got their time in the sun, you know? Well, you know, we need to take community radio back. Uh, it's for us, after all, I think. For us, by us. Exactly. It's Pride Week here in Regina, and Pride Month everywhere, so this week we're queering it up and talking to us LGBTQIA plus TV and movies. Um, so to jump right in, we've kind of had this conversation a few times, but, you know, not for a couple of years now, I don't think. Um, so what do you guys think makes a film or show queer? Is it just about who's behind and on screen, or is it also about the story, the content? Yeah. Well, luckily, I have the memory of a goldfish, and I <laughs> never remember what we talk about. It's literally saying. Minutes, a- minutes after we finish the uh, the episode. Yeah. Um, no, I obviously don't. It doesn't need to be explicit, like queer girl on girl (laughs) action (laughs) because, um, I was raised on so many queer sensibilities of like the people I connected to in all my films are like, um, are just basically ridiculous women that I was like, like I would watch, (laughs) I would watch the Avengers starring Uma Thurman in a red wig and a, black leather like cat suit and be like that's me (laughs) (laughs) and i and i'm like a pimply 12 year old (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah just like the queer sensibilities of glamour ludicrousness humor um it all sort of contributes to the queer experience sometimes not having a queer person in or around at all (laughs) yeah i think unfortunately slash fortunately Especially uh, early in their lives, that's a lot of what there was and what, you know, kind of makes up the canon. So, yeah. Jim, what about you? What do you think? Well, yeah, I was thinking along similar lines. And I remember pretty clearly coming to university. And it's probably the first point that I came across queer readings of films that I hadn't already thought of as queer coded in any way. And in particular, I remember coming across those appreciations of the films of Alfred Hitchcock who mm. you know probably got in trouble for being the the worst kind of straight person uh, I think that's putting it mildly <laughs> uh, <laughs> in terms of his legacy but it was the first time that I really remember applying that lens to something that was maybe like a mass entertainment or something that was appreciated broadly uh in that you're thinking about movies like Strangers on a Train, where Robert Vaughn's kind of a fet, um, Mother's Boy character definitely mother has boy. some readings. Yeah. <laughs> and Alfred Hitchcock loves his mother boys, so like you can really find those throughout his filmography. <laughs> uh, but if Honestly, you go with- Icy Blondes and Mother Boys are so queer of, of Hitchcock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like Who tag knew? your tag your gender. Mother tag boy yourself. Or Blonde. <laughs> I'm mother boy, I think. Well, and you can even get shades of mother boy. You know, you got Robert mm, Vaughn mm-hmm. who is my favorite candle. 
I bet Robert Vaughn probably smells pretty decent in chat, uh, in Strangers <laughs> on a Train. Mm-hmm. I'd buy the candy. And also, like, rope. Like, these are not, these two aren't uh, friends from college. No. You can't tell me that. Well, yeah, Rope, the movie where it's based off of the Leopold and Loeb murders. And that's probably one of the Hitchcock films where it was most kind of evident during the production. I actually remember watching one of the making of documentaries on the DVD for Rope. And all of the making of documentaries for Hitchcock movies are Pat Hitchcock, Hitchcock's daughter, talking about, oh, it was so nice to make a movie. Movies are great. And in this particular one, it cuts like back and forth between her and the screenwriter who was like, the studio kept saying, too gay, too gay, <laughs> and crossing stuff out of the script. Classic. Damn. Yeah. I want the I want the Hitchcock cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give us the queer cut. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean I think I think you two have encompassed my thoughts about it as well. I feel like it's it's kind of like how it's really hard to actually provide a definition of camp, but you know it when you see it. And I feel like yeah. that's kind of similar with like queer queer work on screen, where you can't always necessarily put your finger on why. Um, but sometimes you're just like, this is gay. <laughs> For me that happens a lot, but you know. Um what? It has been like nope. an evolution too, since mm-hmm. at a certain point, maybe it was more important to take in whatever you could and apply those readings or find those subtextual elements that were in there. And now we have Love Simon, which is a mass entertainment, uh, a corny little love story where it's just cute gay guys falling in love in high school or whatever. Mm hmm. Well, and it's that thing where it's like, I would maybe say that Love, Simon is gay, but it's not necessarily queer. Does that make that sense? Is, that is exactly it. It's it's straight, but it's gay. It's, yeah. a straight, it's, a, it's a hetero story, but it's about gay boys. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, good. Like, we should have those too, you know? It's that thing of like, you know, just because you're gay doesn't mean you're queer. And like, that's complicated in and of itself, but. Um, yeah, we need all the representation, not just, it shouldn't, it like can't, love, it can't just be John Waters. <laughs> yeah. Love, Simon is, yeah, like a popcorn family's watching a, a film tonight. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like a Bruce LaBruce, like disgusting twin cest like film that is for literally dark art halls. And yeah. we need, to, we need them all. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so what are some of your fear, your fear? Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, slip. Don't ask me about alert. <laughs> what are some of your favorite queer pieces on screen? What's your kind of personal queer canon? I think like I was thinking about this because I was trying to remember my first explicitly like not me just connecting to rich bitchy divas. Uh like Madeline Kahn, but so that I was like, oh, this is a subculture that I am shook and shocked by. And it was probably me renting Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, from my local convenience store. Um, Because I, I was very confused by it, but I also had a lot of um, like early exposure to Stalker Channing. So I was like ready for what I was about to see, but... It 
Um, it's about three drag queens on a road trip. And it also is very, you know, misplaced in what a drag queen is. Like, they are in drag 24-7, going to bed in a wig. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wearing lashes in a car. Like, just like, <laughs> this is hilarious. But, um... But also all three of the main actors, like very, very macho dudes. It's Swayze, Snipes, and Leguizamo? Swayze, Snipes, and Leguizamo, my my law office of choice. (laughs) And and they they all like really go for it and do like a legit um, performance that is not sort of making fun of anyone and, uh, and is just a really great film. Well, am I wrong? I've only seen parts of that movie and so many years ago. It feels like that movie is all about let's make this small town be empathetic towards the drag queens. Is that the vibe of it? It's Yeah, it's literally so their car breaks down and a police officer tries to assault them. And then uh, and then they basically like escape the police officer and hide in the town. And then the town is really weirded out by them because they're like, these women are strange. But then they're like, but then they fix the town. They like teach the teen boys to be respectful. They teach abused housewives to stand up for themselves. They teach quiet women to talk. I don't know. They do a lot of things. And, um, and then the town loves them. And then when the police officer finds them, they all are like the entire town protects them at the strawberry festival climax. Oh, and yeah, just like a hallmark. It has to end at a strawberry festival. Yeah, <laughs> that's honestly that's queer alone. Just and so everyone in town is we- everyone in town is wearing an entirely red outfit for the strawberry festival, and there's like a big face off in the in the street. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I still haven't seen it, and it's it's been on my list forever. Well, and I do just really love the notion of Swayze and Snipes in particular doing mm. that movie. Like John Leguizamo, he's, you know, uh, a one man show kind of guy. So maybe that's my own bias talking there where it's less surprising that he might be open to that. But Swayze, he had done romance movies, but he had also done like Roadhouse and Snipes. I think by that point was fully entrenched in doing like Passenger 57 and any movie where he might kick somebody out of a plane or something like that. And, and Wesley Snipes is so good, actually. Yeah. He, I feel like he, ever like the other two, I'm like, okay, I get that you could, you know, you dance or whatever, but <laughs> Snipes, Snipes goes for it. Yeah. And he's very funny. When talking about it being an evolution for these things, I imagine there's probably a point where it's useful to have straight actors or actors who would normally be performing drag coming in and being recognizable faces for a movie like that and giving humanity to these characters and ideally building it up for characters who are, or actors who are actually portraying some of their own lived experience or versions of their own lived experience later on. Cause that's like major box office realty is like mm-hmm. those, those three. Yeah. And right at the yeah, peak. Well, like around real. the peak, I think. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Uh, Jimmy, what's one from your canon? Well, you know, if we're talking about kind of early ones, um, one that I remember really fondly and later on stood out as just unusual was uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's with uh, Natasha Lyonne and Clea Duvall. When I was in high school, we had satellite TV and I'd watch a bunch of movies on TV and Showtime was running But I'm on a Cheerleader on uh, But I'm a Cheerleader on a loop pretty much. And it's a movie that really catches your eye because it's so brightly colored and it's that kind of specific type of camp that it's really easy just to jump in and entertain yourself and and kind of have a good time in there. And I'd always really appreciated it while I was in high school. And it was only later on that I came to realize that it wasn't really a terribly successful movie in terms of distribution, in terms of box office. It got featured in that um, documentary by Kirby Dick. Uh, This movie is not rated or not yet rated. Mm basically talking about how people are so scared of, in particular, women's sexuality, that those always get an R, always get an X rating. Uh, And that's one of the things that kind of hurt. But I'm a cheerleader. uh, And also the the director, uh, Jamie Babbitt. And I've also been thinking about that movie recently because there was that stretch of conversion camp movies pretty recently. Like, um, yeah. There was Miseducation of Cameron Post with Chloe Grace Moretz. And there was also Boy Erased, uh, mm-hmm. the Joel Edgerton movie. Um, that one has the great moment where Nicole Kidman is reading through some of the conversion camp documents. And in her southern accent, she catches a typo and she's like, praise be to dog. And that's the <laughs> more camp than anything else we'll talk about yeah. in the rest of the episode. But, uh, but I'm a cheerleader it has a different approach where instead of acknowledging that conversion camps where they try to convince people they aren't the sexuality that they are, instead of going into the trauma of that and acknowledging how awful that is, which it pretty evidently is, it treats the whole thing as so self-evidently ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And the camp gets turned on every straight acting couple or straight aspiring couple just to show those relationships and that facade as just absurd and you know uh kind of apart from themselves so i yeah i love that movie yeah it's i love that movie too so great and that's a really good point i think jim about like the approach like it almost reminds me of like um something mel brooks said about how like his choice to often make Hitler very silly in a lot of his depictions and about how that's like how you get power over fascism or, you know, these these horrible, powerful things is sometimes to laugh at them. And, you know, there's nuance there. There's a conversation to be had, but I do think there's something to be said. And it is, um, you know, especially when you're thinking about like, what queer movies am I going to talk about this week? And you're like, hmm, which ones don't have just endless trauma and so it's really beautiful to have films like that that are kind of an escape from that that are still talking about something real and uh damaging but not in a way that you're continually having to relive your own trauma through them so yeah great point if Um, you want the space to be able to address those things seriously but it's nice that especially in a realm that i'm in where i'm watching more hollywood movies i'm watching kind of middle brow independent stuff and all of that. There's also the space for 
different sides and different approaches and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, One that I think I've brought up on every single Pride episode we've had, but that I will never stop talking about because it, like, changed my brain chemistry is Tangerine uh, from 2015, um, directed by Sean Baker. And I think, like, there's complicated stuff there in terms of a non-trans person directing this film, um, but it's such a... It's just such a beautiful story of the two, like, the two trans women who are really at the core of it. So it's about these two trans sex workers um, and kind of just, like, going on their daily adventures as they find out that one of their partners is cheating on them. Um, It's kind of like a day in the life kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly, day in the life. Um, Katana Rodriguez and Mia Taylor are the two actresses. Katana just, Kiki Rodriguez. Yes, thank you. Because it is the best name in It is in the best Hollywood, name ever. Of course. Um, who just deliver these, like, I don't even know what to say about their performances. Like, they're just, you're so instantly with them, I feel like, from the beginning of the film. They just are so themselves. And, yeah, it, it feels like it was shot on iPhones. And so there is this kind of, like, naturalistic vibe to the whole thing but it just feels like you're with like you're on this journey with them through the night um and yeah and this the support of it from both nerdy dudes that are like nerdy film dudes that are like this is all shot on an iphone um is also hilarious like the the cross-section of people that are like prop the film up yeah and so, like, I don't know, maybe everyone knows about this film, but I kind of don't think they do. Like, I just feel like I don't hear as much about it as I wish we did. So, well, and it's probably been why, overshadowed by Sean Baker's The Florida Project actually getting Academy Award nominations and uh, Red Rocket having Simon Rex in it and having its measure of success, too. Whereas Tangerine was a little bit of the thing that led up to those movies a little bit. But it's still yeah. such a wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. And that there still is just such a lack of, um, especially black trans stories being centered. Like, I think re- representation is improving, and I think we'll probably talk more about this, but um, there still, I think, is a real dearth there. Like, when I was trying to specifically choose, like, some trans-centered films to watch this week, I still didn't have that many to choose from. So um, I think that's important to highlight. Um so and the I'm ones you curious. did, you'd probably be like, are probably well, yeah, exactly, or just entirely traumatic. Um, so a question that Jim brought up that I really liked is like, what are the kind of films from a queer perspective that really stuck with us early in our lives? So like, as kids, you know, whether they were explicitly queer or not, I'm curious. Like, yeah, what were the the kind of at least queer adjacent things, even or queer coded that that st- stood out to us. Sean? Well, I've got, I've got my gals. I've got the Shelley Longs, the Bette Midlers, the, um, the Goldie Hans, the Madeline Kahns. I feel like those are the, like, those are the queerest representations that were sticking out to me. I'm like, these women are, um, spacey, bitchy. They're, uh, like fashionable they're rich they're all these like 
uh, things that I envisioned for myself. And then only in later years, I'm like, that also, that conceit is how I could, like, that's how I envisioned myself as an adult. Not that that's anything to, like, be chasing and, like, in your real life. But I think, so, yeah, films like that, like, Overboard and, like, um... First Wives Club. Like, First Wives Club, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are, those are, I feel like, are the... The films that I the that I consider queer that I go back to that in no way is there queerness on screen. In fact, there's probably is. there's almost certainly homophobic <laughs> jokes in there. Yeah, but in some <laughs> ways, homophobia is queer too. So, well, I hate that thing. We could have a whole show just about that. So yes, <laughs> Jimmy, what about you? Well, I'm gonna jump the queue a little bit by talking about, but I'm a cheerleader. Mm. Because that was definitely one for me where it opened things up a little bit, and especially in retrospect. And when I was thinking about that movie, I was also thinking about being able to come across that without any preconceived notions a little bit, just because it's something on TV, you're accessing it without knowing anything else. And that was just having things like that kind of seeded into the culture is, is useful. And it's, you know, why you go to movies and to some degree to kind of broaden your perspectives. Mm-hmm. And also just, that is so true. Yeah. Kids nowadays, like aren't getting things uh, on cable, like just like yeah. played every two hours. Or, like I feel like we did. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like maybe my niece is finding things in Riverdale that are opening. <laughs> new doors for her but I mean, uh, for sure. it's not quite I the think same i don't know just by sheer magnitude of plot lines i feel like there's gotta be <laughs> something's something. something's gotta stick yeah <laughs> there's some occult stuff working its way in there yeah, yeah definitely yeah i i was really struggling with this question because i was like there's a lot of stuff that in hindsight the way i was relating to it was queer but i could not think of like what was the first thing I saw that was explicitly queer or that, like, altered my understanding of queerness? Like, I was like, was Mean Girls the first movie that I saw where someone was explicitly gay? Like, almost certainly not, but... What? Yeah, I was like, that was... But I couldn't think of, like, what it was, you know, when you're just like, like, when did I, when did I learn what this meant even? Um... And I think as a bisexual person, some of it is just, like, that that bi erasure has been so complete. Like, I think things are just starting to shift now in terms of there being, like, canon bi characters in things. Um, But, yeah, I was really having trouble. But then I remembered that for some reason I really, well, for some reason, I really loved Xena Warrior Princess as a child. Yeah, Which, again, in hindsight, is, like, for bisexual reasons. And there was this whole storyline of this romance between her and Gabrielle, her, like, sidekick. But she also had, you know, the romance with uh, Kevin Sorbo's Hercules, who we don't talk about. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin Sorbo, <laughs> we're, you're done. Um, and I was like, yeah, like, you know, I was trying to think back to, like, okay, as an eight-year-old, like, watching this on cable... Like, what did I know or understand about this? But I, it's gone. It's lost to the sands of time. 
You're like, they're really good friends. <laughs> it's, and I love friendship like this. Yeah, they're just two besties. And they give me funny feelings in my tummy. I would love to have a conversation with myself about some of the TV I was watching back then. Especially stuff like Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Next Generation. Mm. Because there are episodes of that that are explicitly dealing with gender and sexuality and things like that like there's one episode of tng that is explicitly about a planet without pronouns i'm pretty sure and someone decides that mm. <laughs> they're a she oh my god this is the future liberals yeah. want. <laughs> yeah. no, this is the future conservatives want <laughs> and i wish i could just go back in time and ask uh 11 year old me what did you think of that episode <laughs> what, yeah. what did you take away from that <laughs> yeah like don't you wish because we were steeped in such a virulently anti-queer society. Like, you know, you look back at, like, you know, I've kind of been doing this, like, looking back at, like, the misogyny and some of the body stuff. And it's like, it was just so normalized in so much of the media that we absorbed. And I'm like, what what homophobic stuff was stuck in my little brain that I don't remember, you know? Um, Any other favorites or formative works to mention before we go to break we got two minutes well in terms of favorites you know i could speed round through the 2022 ones that were really really cool do like it. tar do you folks yeah. consider tar a queer movie i was thinking about this because it's Question almost mark. about how her sexuality almost feels irrelevant to the movie because it's yeah. more about the power she exerts in the places she is like Kate Blanchett is this conductor and all about musical genius who is also stacking sexual impropriety on top of sexual impropriety among every other thing. And the fact we that she's to, also a lesbian almost feels toxic too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so they, that was like one of the big ones from 2022. Um, a much more heartwarming one, of course, was fire Island which mm-hmm. I, I really liked. You know, it just felt like a very earnest and faithful kind of Austin riff, and I, I really loved it for that. Uh, that's with Joel Kim Booster. It's on Fire Island. Everyone looks great. Good job, everybody. It's incredible. It's yeah. such. It's a win. It's a real win for the community. <laughs> and my favorite character from Fire Island, uh, I don't know, t- Tomatoes on Instagram. Uh uh, they have like a great like they're such a fun character in Fire Island, and now they're playing Angel on Broadway. Oh, so that's nice. very great like <laughs> career glow up. Yeah, another one I was thinking about is Our Flag Means Death, um, which oh, again, yeah. you know, complicated things with your <laughs> flag girl. straight actors playing queer characters, but um, just some of the ways that queerness was approached in that show like lucius's complete lack of shame around his queerness and some of these moments where you're kind of like bracing for something homophobic to happen or for like you know the queer person to get put in their place and then they end up winning um i just think it's so beautiful and also vico ortiz's uh performance uh as jim and you know i think the impact they've had as an explicitly non-binary actor Playing a non-binary character is just really meaningful. Uh, But with that, we have to take a quick break, uh, refill our stock of glitter, and we'll be right back with more spoiler alert here on 91.3 FM CJTR Regina Community Radio.
tuned into the community. Welcome back to Spoiler Alert. We are going to get back to talking Pride movies in just a minute. But first, um, do you two know what time it is? Mm, no. It doesn't strike Early me. Early June. It's game time, people. Ah! What? Wee, 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 wee. That's a, that's a little alarm on my Pride float going. Um, oh. <laughs> for those who Sounds don't like know, a... if you're just tuning in. Police alarm. <laughs> yeah, we no cops at Pride. Um... The game is where I spend all week trying to find a title related to our, t- our theme that these two have not seen. I tell them the title, they tell me what they think it's about, I tell them what it's really about, and we all have just the, the best dang time. Are you two ready to play the game? Oh, I'm ready. All kinds of ready. Amazing. This week's title is Signature Move. That title again. Oh. Signature Move. Sean, have you seen it? No. Okay. I haven't. Good, mm. good, good. I didn't even ask this week, so. I haven't seen Signature Move either. Hmm. You got a guess do you for know, me? Do you, do, you, do you know what uh, Signature Move is about, Sean? Full disclosure. Mm. I read the synopsis of this earlier this week. But I'm not going to show my cards. I'm going to say that it is about... A low-level soap opera star who is trying to perfect her, like when she signs people's auto, like autographs, it's super embarrassing. It's like scrawled printing, um, and so she decides to take a class online, or she takes a class in person. Sorry, I don't know why I said online. I'm my brain is broken, and um, she hires like a calligrapher to teach her how to do a really f- great signature. And then the calligrapher is an unconventional, very hot woman. And things get steamy. Hands brush hands. Ink is spilled. And they eventually fall in love with each other over this the course of this um this endeavor. Spilling ink in a calligraphy situation is probably a big taboo. It is, but then the alarms like look at at each other, like right into each other's eyes, and then they're like, ooh. Oh, it's on. <laughs> I'm glad you included the hand brushing because that is key for a, a women loving women film. That's important. Women love hands. We do. <laughs> I'm saying it. <laughs> uh, Jim, what do you think it's about? Signature move. I think it's probably a Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter like fighting competition where mm-hmm. each character has a signature move that they do to, to finish the other. And it's probably about two competitors who, through the course of their matches, discover that they are actually interested in each other. Uh, and with the theme of our episode, they are also same-sex characters. And Incredible. Yeah. In the end, they just get to celebrate each other's strength. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, I'm so sorry to report that you're pretty much wrong in all ways, shapes, or forms. Jen, uh, you were getting you were getting kind of close there, but not enough, I think, to earn a point, especially not during Pride Week. <laughs> <laughs> no so, leniency. No leniency. So, Signature Move is a 2017 comedy drama romance, and uh, the synopsis is thus: Zainab, a 30-something lesbian Pakistani Muslim in Chicago, takes care of her sweet TV-obsessed mother. 
As Zainab falls for Alma, a bold, very bright Mexican woman, she, she searches for her identity in life, love, and wrestling. Now, I think Alma's also a wrestler, is what I feel should have been in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other synopsis that I read was shorter and just mentioned the wrestler. But anyway. Um, yeah, the, the move is wrestling. <laughs> the move is wrestling. But it, also uh, the move is smooching. Yeah, smooching. Uh, it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, so that oh. makes me curious. And it sounds really sweet and heartwarming. Um, yeah. So maybe check it out. I don't know if it's good, I, but it sounds good. I was so close to checking it out, but two other things got beat it out to the, this week. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you both so much for playing the game. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sonia. And that leads us very naturally into my next question, which is, what did y'all watch this week? Sean, why don't you tell us about one of those two things that Okay, I'll tell mind. I'll tell you. I chose this literally only because of the title. It's called So My Grandma's a Lesbian <laughs> from tw- <laughs> from 2019. Um and it is a Spanish comedy about um a woman who is about to marry a very conservative into a mary- very conservative family and then she goes to visit her uh, gr- her grandma for the weekend and finds out that her grandma is going to marry her longtime friend. They're both in their seventies and secretly they've actually been lovers for the last like 30 years or whatever. And um, so then this woman basically tries to team up with the other woman's son to like, and like stop the relationship because they're like, we can't have this happen for who knows why. Like, mm-hmm. um, and then eventually, all these shenanigans, everyone's like, oh, yay, it's fine. Love is love or whatever. But it was, I had fun. I loved, I loved a lot of the, the characters, the side characters. But it also was like our lead character is kind of a villain. <laughs> like she is just trying to destroy her grandma's relationship mm-hmm. because she, cause she thinks it'll look bad for her conservative in-laws or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I... I would say I had fun. I would watch it again. But, you know, if you want to come out liking your main character, I say you don't do that. Because she's, she's, Eva turns out I'm not into it. You know, the straights are doing that kind of stuff too. Like uh, that Clooney Julia Roberts movie, Take It to Paradise, was. Yes! Stop plot, destroying people's relationships. People. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> My grandma is not a lesbian. Was the alternate title for that? <laughs> My kid is straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I don't like whoever they're trying to get with. Yeah. And this is on Netflix, and I was like, "Okay, well, with this title, like, you yeah, got how could you I have? It? I have to watch. What kind of uh, grandma was it? Was mm. she? One was very artsy grandma, artsy mm-hmm. flowy top grandma. The other sort of rides a motorcycle scooter. Oh. Uh, sort of tough lady grandma that sounds like a fun pair yeah that's like my ideal grandma lesbian pair yeah (laughs) i love that for them (laughs) have you ever said that before (laughs) no but true still true (laughs) (laughs) doesn't make it less true jim what about you well the one queer film that i watched this week uh finally crossed off gregor ackie's mysterious skin uh, 2004, it's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, it's got Brady Corbett. Uh, yeah, I don't know, are either of you familiar with Mysterious Skin or Greg Araki Wait, at all? is this like Amnesia or like 
blocked out memories. Yep, right. there is some I'm of think, that. Okay. Because I think it's I think it's the film I'm thinking about. Okay. Yeah, because there is a plot line where both Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, Brady Corbett are abused as children by their little league coach. Uh, wah, wah. That's <laughs> not as much. That's not as serious as I should be about that topic. It, it's a very bad thing, obviously. <laughs> James, uh, you said wah, wah. You, you cope with it how you can, you, uh, Yeah, no, I'm, you culpa. I'm trying to come back after so my grandma's a lesbian and, and keep yeah, it a little bit hard, light. But... It's hard on a comedy show when you then have to talk about something serious. It's a struggle yeah. we face every week and we're with you. Yeah, bringing it back and forth. <laughs> something. But yeah, Brady Corbett's character is coping by building out this notion in his head that he was actually abducted by aliens. And that's how he's processing this information. Whereas Joseph Gordon-Levitt quickly turns into being a high school and then recently out of high school hustler uh, and encountering many other gay men in that way. And it's like... A wonderful movie. <laughs> it's mm. so much less miserable than that description might make it sound, especially in the parts where Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets the opportunity to encounter people who don't necessarily see sex work as a form of inherently abuse or something like that. And that is something that kind of comes up. But seeing Joseph Gordon-Levitt on that journey it's his way of processing his past. It's a way of his processing himself. And there's a lot of really beautiful moments of kind of recognizing humanity through the movie. Even while Iraqi is a really confrontational and even kind of transgressive uh, director and filmmaker in a lot of ways. And he's really pushing you. Uh, it still warmed my heart in ways that I really wasn't expecting from any other Iraqi movie I've seen or any of the descriptions I might give or somebody else might give for this movie. Yeah, what else because has he, has he made, is, Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, I can't remember too many of the other titles right now, unfortunately. Okay, that's okay. I'll, I can look yeah. it up. I, <laughs> I think The Scariest Skin is the most celebrated one, but yeah, I just missed it until now. Mm. I was going to say that this pops up a lot in the on the blogs and mm. and I've been like and like it's like one of apparent Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like best performances is what I've been hearing but then also I you know read that little log line and I'm like yeah I don't know <laughs> you know molesting womp womp uh, as James eloquently put it <laughs> and so I'm like I don't know if I wanted to get in there yeah, yeah. so it is it is nice for me to hear that you it is not as much of a downer again uh as uh as i thought mm-hmm. even though it is a downer well and it definitely helps that gordon levitt and corbett kind of find each other you know not in a romantic way but in a personal way and in a way where they're connecting with each other in the end and also Gordon Levitt is great in the movie. He is just so in the character, but also relates to others so well, or in like ways where you can really read what he's experiencing from them and how he's kind of relating that back to himself and everything like that. 
Like it's it's wonderful. I, I think he's a pretty great actor, and I think this one came like just before he did Brick, so it's like quite the run for him. But but yeah, no, he's 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 good in this. That's great. Yeah, he yeah. he. I feel like Joseph Gordon Levitt can really do some good work. Like I don't know. I feel like maybe his his like image outside of acting has tarnished it for some people. <laughs> Just, and being so, on social like, media, you mean? He's or? so earnest and so, yeah. like, I don't know. But then sometimes you see him in a performance and you're like, oh, dang, like, you can really do this. Yeah, that's I exactly what was about that. Because Joseph Gordon-Levitt hosted an SNL uh, where he put in so much work and effort and did a full song and dance routine. And they, like, basically never aired it again. For I forget for some reason, but it's just, it feels like so him. Where yeah. it's like, I am doing the most, I'm doing so much effort. And then, like, people just don't really pick up on it for some reason. Yeah. It's, wait, let's he's, do a Joseph. He's very, Joseph he's very <laughs> Anne Hathaway, try hardy. It's, like, it's very Anne Hathaway. Like, yeah, type A theater kid that you're just like, oh, I'm annoyed. Anne Hathaway can back it up just slightly better than Jogo, I agree. unfortunately. Yeah. Maybe Jogo Le will have his mother, Assance, like, come. Maybe he'll mother soon. <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> Soon he'll be mother. Um, I finally watched uh, Disclosure, which is a documentary from 2020 um, about uh, basically trans representation on screen. Um, and so again, like, it's we're a comedy show. We like to have fun here. But I think it's really important to talk about and during our Pride episode. The fact that we are in the middle of, like, an attempted genocide against trans people and there have been, like, hundreds of pieces of legislation, anti-LGBTQ legislation introduced in the states, most of them explicitly targeting trans folks and drag, which is really just often, I think, a covert attack on transness. Um, And it was really striking to watch this documentary that was made only three years ago where in some of the earliest kind of moments of the film, they're interviewing Laverne Cox, who's obviously, you know, one of the most famous, I think, trans actors in the world, who is an incredible spokesperson and advocate um, and speaks so eloquently, I think, about so many of the issues. And she said, like, it's this really double-edged sword where as folks become more visible and there's more representation, they also then are often subject to even more violence in response. And I was thinking about how true I think that is, that, you know, in the last few years, there has, I think, been a real growth in in queer representation on screen. And also we've seen this really growing concerted effort uh, in backlash to that, to, to erase trans people and queer people from existence. Um... So if anyone hasn't seen it, I would really recommend watching it because I think it kind of comes back to that thing I was saying in the first half of just how maybe we haven't even considered like just how violent and problematic so many of the representations that we ha- that we grew up with and over- throughout the ages were. Um, and, you know, like it's it's a tough watch. It um, was really painful, to be honest. Uh but I think it's really important to think about. And it was really interesting. Sean, I think you talked about this when you watched it. Um, they talk about kind of how 
the very early history of cinema, so many of those um, films featured trans characters or moments of cross-dressing and how there really is this like strong intertwinedness between transness and film. Um, have you seen it, Jim? I have not seen it. What form does it mm. take? Is it mostly talking head or is it some other approach? Yeah, it's, it's like mostly... talking head and like historical like footage, basically. Okay. Yeah, exactly. historical footage is like film. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, because some of it is really historical yeah. footage. Um, like, you know, D.W. Griffiths, who made Birth of a Nation, um, a lot of his films had trans characters in them, which is just really interesting. And of course, like um, the history of transness and the history of blackness in our part of the world is very closely intertwined and overlapping in complicated political ways. Um, but yeah, um, it's really good. They talk to a lot of different, uh, trans actors and creators and historians and stuff. And there's just, I think, a lot of really good perspective and conversation. Um, and it is really wild because I watched when it came out, I remember it was under the sort of the feeling of like, and things are going to get better or like, and it's all up from here. And it is really wild that it's like. The backlash has really been intense. Mm-hmm. And it's there's a really great Sorry, scene of that. There's a, a great, a, like a part that I think about a lot is that one actress that she got her first role. I forget which, it was like a sitcom or something. And, uh, and a character on the sitcom was dating a trans woman and she comes in and she's like this beautiful, like model and she has her lines and, uh, so then she's got all her friends over and they're watching it and they're all waiting. And then when she comes online uh, on screen, they in post-production lowered her voice like a whole octave to make a joke. And mm-hmm. she was like, my friends were so everyone was like, ooh, <laughs> it was just like a horrible, like yank the carpet right out from under you moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Um, I think her name's Candy. I can't think of Candace Kane, I think. Candace Kane, yeah. 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 Like, um, and another of the stories that they featured was this actress, um, Sandra Caldwell, who um, transitioned, you know, relatively young and then was an actor and was stealth is the term. So she she wasn't out as trans. And um, her experiences of like being on set and just being constantly in fear of of being outed essentially um yeah but it was really interesting to kind of hear her perspective because now um she's she's come out um and it was really moving kind of hearing her talk about the ability to like play a trans character and kind of be herself and not have to do that anymore so i certainly don't want and especially you know for folks who are listening who are trans like I don't want it to be this thing where we only talk about it in terms of tragedy and in terms of discrimination and in terms of trauma, because, you know, our community is so resilient, so powerful, so beautiful, and so much of our current culture um, issues from queer culture, specifically trans culture, specifically like trans femmes of color, queens of color. Um, So, you know, like it's so much of the things we love in media and, and entertainment only exist because of trans people's creativity and, and beauty and everything. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about a lot while watching it was, um, I don't know if you, if y'all are familiar with like the activist and writer Alok 
Vaid Manan. They're a non-binary mm-hmm. uh, South Asian person. And one of the things that I heard them say recently that I can't stop thinking about is that, like, you don't have to understand to not think that people should experience violence. So I think one of the things we hear people talk about a lot is, like, oh, I don't get this, or, like, this doesn't make sense to me. And it's, like, you don't actually have to understand someone's life experience to want things to be better for them. And I think if we took more of that approach, um, it would probably help a lot. Very true. Yeah. Yeah, Anyway, (laughs) disclosure is really good. I highly recommend folks watching it. Um, Yeah. What else uh, did you guys get some eyes on this week? So I watched Big Butts XXL. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the tone shifts in ours. In I know our it's, it's <laughs> this wild. is our life. No, just kidding. I but I did watch a film call from 2014 called The Way He Looks, um, and it, it's a Brazilian like coming of age tale about Leo, who is a blind teenager trying to uh, struggling with his independence because he wants to be doing things. Um, for himself a little bit and he's always got his parents or like someone's like always on his case about like where he's going, what he's doing and worried about him constantly. And he wants, he's a teen that wants to be on his own, damn it. Um, and so he has this friend, Giovanni Giovanna, who like walks him to school all the time and is always like, uh, his, his like best friend and, and support system. But then, uh Oh, new boy in school, Gabriel comes in and sort of interrupts the, the perfect uh, routine that they have and causes a lot of jealousy and feelings. Um, But it's just like so beautiful and so horny. (laughs) And like, you know, there's so much lazy lounging in the sun and like sun-kissed skin and uh, like fingers on lips and whispered in ears, like all of that, like all of that imagery um it's just very sweet and i very much enjoyed this film until so, people, like could a, watch, so people could watch that instead of call me by your name if they don't want to deal with all the complicated age stuff with that one yeah true get your sun like, skin quota here yeah you get get all that there and if even it's like even you know like you know that there's like a rift that happens and a rift that's repaired or whatever. And it's not even that bad. And it has a really sweet, happy ending. And you're just like, this is a, exactly what I need. I don't yeah. need someone to <laughs> die in a gutter, please. Mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm really on the, the low end of dying in a gutter uh, endings. So when you started sure. describing it, at least I kind of pictured it as one of those John Green derivatives where there's like a girl mm. in the bubble and a guy who can't be in the sun or something and they fall in love as teens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not like that. No. There's um, just, a, you know, a little bit of miscommunications and uh, the, there's, there are, there's a villain high school boy that is so villainy. Like, <laughs> he just walks in the room and, like, says mean things and leaves. And then that's, like, that's the, his thing. Um, and then there's a line where one of the characters puts his... He gets to choose... He chose his song for his... Because the kid has a ringtone for every person that calls him. And he put his own ringtone and he's like... It's because I want you to dance when I call you. And I was like, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> That's so anyway. cute. 
Uh, I will be watching that. This is what <laughs> I prescribe. Yeah. Jim, do you have another one you want to talk about? Or would you like to do your highlighting of a lackluster queer performance? I will highlight one lackluster queer performance. And it's something we've come across a lot in recent years where there are films where there's a part of the media cycle where they promise a queer character and they promise they'll be on screen for X amount of time. And it was kind of lambasted in a recent episode of The Other Two, if you're watching that. But my favorite instance of these was in uh, Avengers uh, Endgame, where Mm. one of the two Russo brothers gave himself, I'm pretty sure the first queer character (laughs) in the Marvel Universe in that little, uh, that little, uh, what do you call it, group session with Captain America or whatever. Oh, yeah. Wait, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, there's so there's like, as I I think I was explaining to you guys, not explaining, but it was like how Disney keeps doing this, like, like first queer character you've ever seen, like press release every month, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And it's always like, like a seagull flies close to an ant or something. And it's like, that was the moment. And you're like, wait, what? Like it's it's the most, like you'll never see it. (laughs) Their eyes meet across. Yeah. 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 And when it came to the Avengers, it was the worst actor in any Marvel movie coming on screen for two minutes to say as a gay man. And then leave. I forgot about that. (laughs) It's my brain tried to protect me. As a gay man. I, when I got blipped, (laughs) So that's the that's the Brotheridge Award for uh, lackluster queer performance. Yeah, I'll, I'll come, come back next year to time. do another one. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, James. Um, I'll really quickly just mention the other movie that I watched this week, which was a very sweet um, Filipino teen romance um, called Billy and Emma, where um, halfway through the school year, uh, a new girl transfers to Emma's a Catholic girls' school. Um, and that's Billy, who is visibly queer, has a cool short haircut, and um, they just visibly gradually kind queer. of fall in love. And yeah. Emma gets actually pregnant with her boyfriend. Um, and so it's kind of about her trying to figure out what she's going to do with her future. She's like one of the top students at the school. And so it it is dramatic. There are moments of them facing homophobia. Um, but... A lot of it is just these really lovely shots of them having a sweet teen romance. And that is what the people deserve. Um, We deserve every iteration of sweet queer romances. Um, And it's really beautifully shot. uh, Like just visually so lovely. And uh, the two young leads, Zara Donato and Gabby Padilla, just do an absolutely incredible job like there were quite a few times watching this and i was like okay these folks must be at least a little older than teenagers because i know teenagers can be good actors but this is like some next level stuff and so yeah just very tender very sweet um you can watch it for free on tubi there's a real theme of uh queer adults um reliving their a (laughs) teen rewriting a teen experience hey yeah oh we're like like, what imagine what would happen (laughs) Watching Heartstopper and just fully mourning my youth. Yeah, yeah. it's very that. 
Um, but that is unfortunately all the time we have for this week. Uh, so thank you both. But, uh, and thanks to Saskatoon's The Garys for the use of our theme song, Manituna. Um, to everyone at CJTR and to you, our sweet listeners, for lending us your ears. The show is broadcast live Wednesdays at 6 p.m., rebroadcast Fridays at 3 p.m., and we're available as a podcast on CJTR's website and anywhere else you get your podcasts. My Electric is coming up next. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.